Welcome to your Drive Time News Blast. We're calling it what it is, and we're telling it like it is, with 30 minutes of jam-packed, up-to-the-minute news from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice every weekday. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. The top story is that the stovepiper-in-chief National Security Advisor John Bolton either resigned or was fired or a little of both because the story is about the Twitter feud between John Bolton and Donald Trump and not about the policies that the National Security Advisor is all over. So we look at this story and I can't really make heads or tails of it. John Bolton is one of my least favorite people because he's an unapologetic warmonger and hawk. And in my mind, three of or the three reasons Trump is in place is one, to be the censorship president, like Obama was the surveillance president. Two, to preside over and take the rap for the great correction that results from, that is inevitably going to result from the 2008 mm, Fed shenanigans, zero interest rates and perpetuity, to get out of what should have been a greater correction at the time. And third, to start a war with Iran. We have seen that that is what these guys, people like Bolton, have been egging for for the longest time. And I don't think that's off the table. I noticed that Netanyahu said something pretty scary. I think maybe some people are attributing it to him wanting to win his election next week by by appealing to extreme right-wing voters. But to me, he's getting all those votes, so I don't know why I would say it. But he's saying that he wants to, with the help of the United States, declare the West Bank, the Jordan Valley, and other Israeli settlements as Israeli territory, which would be would actually just make worse what's a very fragile situation over there. And if you're if they're talking about a peace plan, this would be moving in the opposite direction. So. I don't, to me, this is just the kind of thing Bolton would want to be around for. So I don't know what, what's going on. Maybe it's a bait and switch. I really don't know. I, I'm afraid to see what's next from that, from uh, who's who's going to lead our foreign policy in the Middle East going forward. Maybe Elliot Abrams. Yikes. Who's going to strike next in the Twitter war? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's what everybody's focusing on. Nobody's, people are spending less time on our actual foreign policy. Nobody's barely, people are barely reporting the Netanyahu statement, which is pretty significant, but they do have tons of time for Sharpie gate. <laughs> so they do. And really all major news stories, I think are, are broken now on Twitter or some other social media. Like yesterday, I learned from you that John Ossoff is going to be running for the Senate in Georgia against David Perdue. Yeah. But, um, so not the Johnny Isaacson two-year term. He's going for no. the six-year term. Yes. Got it. He's good. going for the long one. Thank you. Very good. And he ran against Karen Handel in the 6th District right. 2017, and he lost. There's no word yet if he lives where he's supposed to live. I know he did not live in the yes, district right. he was supposed to back Because then. he was supporting his girlfriend through medical school. Right. That, crazy stuff. Here's the thing about John Ossoff is he's <laughs> going to be presented as a progressive hero in a purple state that is a battleground for the presidency now because they have Georgia in their sights. And people need to know that he is not what he appears to be. Focus really on his father. His father is somebody who they never talk about. I'm interested to see if they bring his father in. I think they're going to have to because they just ignored the fact that his dad 
runs a company called Strafford where he teaches basically globalists how to evade taxes, and he works with a lot of the quote Russian lawyers that Trump himself works with. He worked in the Nixon administration on the war on drugs. He rides around in his custom-built yacht in China with Chinese diplomats flying a China flag as late as 2015. So John Ossoff is not the representative of the the oppressed as he's going to be presenting himself as. I'm sure we'll cover this much more uh, in the coming months. He's just another liberal elite? Absolutely. Well, our friend, friend of the show and activist, Garland Favorito, voting rights activist, voting integrity activist, I should say. He said that he thought Ossoff actually won straight out before there was even a runoff. And he also said the same thing about Roy Moore. So Garland doesn't come from a partisan point of view. But it's interesting. So, I mean, my guess, going head to head with the Republican as in the Senate, that's tough. He'd be better off with the two. You know, I think he'd be more of a shoe in with the two year People would take a chance with the two-year term. Yeah, but he's, he's a going, threat. He says he's a threat. He's a force to be be dealt with. He's shooting the moon. Well, speaking of boats, I did expect that the story would be for the Coast Guard rescue of the four people trapped in that boat that capsized near Jekyll Island, the South Korean cargo vessel. So I followed up on the story because I was like, obviously— They always make the first responders and the government agents of any kind the hero. Always, always, always. I mean, the very front page of the Wall Street Journal today was uh, was Trump awarding the cops and I think Dayton and or El Paso for doing their jobs. Whatever the details were, I don't know. But the so I clicked on the video on Fox of like the follow up story on the Coast Guard rescuing the ship, and it was just like the update on the ship that capsized the entire the entire story was bill hammer starts saying his opening line is a story of success and then he talks to somebody who's saying the coast guard did a wonderful job let's hear more on this and then they're just like going on and on and on and i just felt like it was a real counterpoise to what was a tragic impossible situation off the coast of California. I don't think that the first responders could have done any. The crew who was there couldn't do anything. Yeah, it was up in flames instantly. Yeah, there was nothing they could do, but they don't... It points out to people that the all-powerful state isn't always there for you, and so they they want vengeance on that thing, and I think this was was spun a certain way, got in the, the PR for this purpose, I think. There's an interesting aspect of the California boat fire that stuck out to me anyway is that there's one person that they have not found. I don't know who it is. Yeah. One body they didn't find. Yeah. yeah I don't know. I don't know. Sharpie Gate never yes. ends. Always going to be in the news. I believe that's still in the news. What did you notice about it yesterday? I don't follow it, so it has to... It it has to hit me over the head. So what hit me over the head was Anderson Cooper dedicating. Yes. I've got lots of right. quotes from his interview. but My favorite quote from the Anderson Cooper Sharpie Gate interview, they had a weather person on, and she said that this is about the sanctity of the weather. Yes, it is crossed the line of the sanctity of the weather forecast. Which is what I we said. That yes, it's Monica Medina from Our Daily Planet. Yeah. She said that, that the weather... The weather people need to, quote, speak with one voice. Exactly. <laughs> this is climate science again. 
the sanctity of the weather. You're not even allowed to question the weather reports. Yes. And uh, oh, Anderson Cooper said that federal employees are getting reprimanded for accurately disclosing scientific, scientific truth. It's crazy for me even to be uttering those words. So uh, then his guest, Richard Painter, who's an oft-quoted ethics lawyer, I see him all the time, something about the, I don't know if he's a federal employee or what, but he's often like the guy they ask in the Wall Street Journal, too, about like administrative ethics. And he's, he was the guy who Anderson Cooper, like, just shockingly was had as his guest. He had two guests on this last night. Yeah, I saw it. And he says to the guy, um, so the guy, Richard Painter, says, yes, Trump's alternative or alternate, what does Kellyanne Conway say? He quoted Kellyanne Conway. As alternate saying, facts, alternative so facts. Alternative facts are affecting the weather. So he didn't even pretend, like, he just skipped right to, Trump's alternative are affecting the weather, not the weather forecast or the weather. You know, they're and affecting then he, the weather. Yeah, they're not actually affecting the weather. And then he he wraps it up by saying it's affecting the national intelligence reporting and uh, and our approach to climate change. He says so. Now we even we have even now politicized weather reporting. Yes, you have. CNN. I mean, but that just I, the the weather the weather channel. I know it's Atlanta-based and it's a great employer and everything, but they have been politicizing the weather. For a long time. I mean, who hasn't for a decade at least, if not two? Yeah, so if not since the since the Ice Age scares in the seventies. A couple of things about that: one, CNN themselves, and I retweeted this video clip, talked about how the hurricane was going to threaten Alabama. They themselves, Don Lemon and the weatherman that he had on his show. Talked about Alabama. And he actually did went on to say that everybody in Florida, and this is after the weather services said it was going to not hit Florida. The guy said, oh, no, no, but you should still be scared, Florida. I expect mass casualties in Florida. (laughs) This is what they said on CNN, and they are making this a controversy. One of the guys they brought on is a, I don't know if he's a congressman or something. I know that he ran for office, and he had this big ad where he talked about a dumpster fire blowing up. And it's the most comical, ridiculous ad I've ever seen. But they have him on as a serious person here, and he's telling Anderson Cooper, Anderson, now what are we going to see on Election Day on November November 6th? Was, is Trump going to force the NOAA to tweet out about how hurricanes are going to shut down all the districts in, in Iowa? So hurricanes. That's how it's going to threaten the election now using the well, hurricane. Hurricane Sandy was the October surprise for Obama when Christie gave Obama the Judas kiss. Or yeah. it wasn't the Judas, it was Judas to the Republicans. It was a kiss to the Democrats. And after you watch Ben Livingston's interview with, I think, I think it was a uh, an Alex Jones legitimizing moment. He needed a few of those, like the Bilderberg thing or the uh, Bohemian Grove footage. That made Alex Jones look very for reals. I have <laughs> a lot of counterexamples since then, but this uh, this interview with Ben Livingston, who's considered they call him the father of weaponized weather, but he was a pilot. He I don't think he was the mastermind, but he talks about how they would seed clouds for to, as a force multiplier in Vietnam, and then you realize that they can just do that. So Hurricane Sandy could very well have been seeded. Yeah, Operation Popeye. You're right. Yeah. So another update from 
a story we were talking about yesterday or have been talking about for a while is Brexit. So it ends up that Boris Johnson does say that he will not follow the law that asks him to ask Europe for an extension. He said he won't do it. And they are speculating whether the court should intervene. And I think the absolute bare minimum is this Irish backstop. And they're so I don't, I don't know how important the Irish backstop is. I, my guess is there's a well, I don't know how how the border works there now. But anyway, they're making it a do or die situation and it's within their control entirely. So if the if Brexit does crash out, they could make that border a disaster because it's it, completely within the UK's control. But if they decide to let it crash out, it will be Boris Johnson acting extra legally. It will be 100% his responsibility. And all the bad things that come of that, whether it's cronyism or just a globalist black backlash, it it will be squarely on his feet, even to the point where they'll probably want to put him up on charges, you know, the equivalent of impeachment. They just, just like Trump. election. I know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But the the they he asked for a snap election and they're like, We need an election. He said, But I just he didn't say it, but like I'm like, he just asked for one and you said no. So yeah. They, they're leaving it there for this to happen. It just seems a little juvenile the way they've scripted this one. Yeah, I think we just got to look to the uh, – it's the UK version of the the American show. It's like the opposite of The Office. They did The Office in the UK, then they did it right. over here. Now they're right. just flipping it. Yeah, I actually wondered if Boris Johnson would win the same year that Trump won just because of the parallels. When, Tina, when Theresa May won, I thought, oh, well, Hillary will win because I see the parallels. Yeah, But it seemed like they had a little lag time. A new game has been released that I know a lot of people are going to be excited about. Miss Monopoly. It's a Monopoly game. I think it's Miz. Oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> of course it's Miz. My mistake, Miss Monopoly. I didn't mean anything by it. When women play and they cross go, they get two hundred and forty dollars. While when men cross go, they only get two hundred dollars and they get castrated. And what? That's part of the game. You get castrated when you cross go. That's not throwing that in. See, see, you didn't know if I was serious or not, which shows yes. how ridiculous this is going. This is this is crazy. I mean, people can make the games they want. People can buy them, but Monopoly is a game that children tend to play. So, well, that's probably why it's there. They released Monopoly Socialism not long ago for the same oh, that, company did. That's interesting because socialism isn't even real. <laughs> they use money. I mean, money is yeah. capital. But I didn't like I saw an ad, it was an article. I think it was RT. It was the head, headlines were uh whatever, Parker Brothers or whoever it is introduces quote woke monopoly. Woke Monopoly. Yeah. So I thought it was going to be like nine eleven <laughs> on one square or like Truther. Oklahoma City. Yeah, like yeah. I just – for me, woke is like, yeah, I, I get it. Like the two-party psyop would be somewhere in there. And instead, it's like hashtag me too, which it really annoys me that woke was so quickly co-opted just to mean identity self-righteousness. Right. 
But this game doesn't hit all the intersectional, intersectionality talking points. What if you haven't chosen your gender yet? What if you're, you know, there's supposedly... Yeah, actually, it seems very anti to the Yeah, to the privileged yeah. genders. <laughs> That's a good one. Is that a new... Did you just coin yeah, that? Yeah. That's good. Well, the uh, another CNN thing that I don't know where this is going to go, but there's been a lot of controversy over CNN reporting that a possible CIA agent was embedded in Putin's administration. His name may or may not be Oleg Smolenkov. He was fired in 2016 or 2017, and the implication is that Trump can't keep a secret, so they had to extract their best source in Russia like there's one, there was one spy, and they, they had to get him out because some idiot told Trump, and you know Trump's such a moron, he probably would tweet it out like he did that picture recently that compromised, whatever. Uh, but another international story. That, that story yeah. that I have something to say about that story is in the same report that CNN made on that. After they reported it, they said. The CIA responded and said that everything that we just reported is untrue. CNN literally said that really? in their report on it. And well, then they said – "Yeah." the guy said, but regardless of what the CIA said, I spoke to these anonymous sources on the inside. <laughs> and then the New York Times came out, and their report – they altered their original report. It was in 2016 when they originally started worrying about the, uh, the guy being compromised and – it seemed to be more because of media leaks and nothing really to do with Trump. And what's really interesting about this story and some other stuff I've seen in the news lately is that they all mirror the premise of a new Netflix show called The Spy. Really? Yeah, which is about a spy, an Israeli spy, Mossad, who does a lot of the things they're describing. In this. I thought I was listening to a synopsis of the Netflix show. Well, I guess maybe they want to normalize spying. Possibly. Like, oh, spies, they'll, they're just around. Don't worry about it. Actually, that I listened to a spy thing, a panel discussion, and they very much do talk like that. Yeah. Well, the maybe vaguely related, but having to do with the Russia story, Mike Flynn. You know, Mike Flynn is besides Marina Butina or whatever her name is. I forget her name. The world's worst spy. Yeah, the world's worst spy. Who's like runs a PR campaign telling people exactly what she's actually doing? Yeah. So, uh, Boutina, I think it was, but Mike Flynn hit what he did was he was, I think it was national security advisor, was his, I think that was his official title. And what he did, I think, before they took office, before inauguration day, was he talked to the Russian ambassador to the UN, I think this is how it worked, in order to garner a vote favorable to Israel. They were worried that Israel, who's a uh, you know strong U.S. ally uh, by all official accounts, and uh, you know Trump feels that way. He's got what's his face, Jared Kushner, in his administration. So it's I think it's part of the course for their guys to you know talk to diplomats ahead of time. So that's what Mike Flynn was doing to get a vote that I I think would be consistent with what people expect from Trump. So that's what, so what he went, what he went, what he plea bargained about was that, I guess he did, was not clear 
they're, I think they were saying he didn't cooperate fully or I don't know. But he, he plea bargained against charges of like uh, jumping the gun or Russian collusion or something like that. But it didn't have anything to do with our election. And what and when I see that stuff happen, when I saw that happen, I wondered, you just wonder, like with Michael Cohen and Manafort, like these people are deep insiders. They know a lot of stuff. It seems weird to me that they're just getting taken out, that they're they're getting thrown in jail. They're really being pursued like in this left right thing, like by Democrats. It's just hard for me to get my mind around it. And for me, a big tell that somebody is kind of in on it or that it's part of a game is that when they get, when they actually don't end up serving time or, you know, falls out of the news and you just don't know. So Mike Flynn is about to be sentenced and he's saying he, he would never have plea bargained if the government had given him the exculpatory evidence through discovery that he's required. It's called Brady evidence. And he's accusing prosecutorial, prosecutorial misconduct and he wants the case dismissed. He doesn't want to be sentenced at all. And the reason I, I think that'll be a tell to see how that shakes out. If this is all just a big psyop because Mike Flynn's very deep state. He was the guy who ran the DIA, the defense intelligence agency when they came out with that, report about how an Islamic state on the border of Syria and Iraq would be exactly what they want so that could justify invading Syria. Like, he's a deep state guy. He knows a lot of stuff that if he wanted to turn, he could. But his, the judge, Emmett Sullivan, has, is just one of those guys, like the coroner in the Jeffrey Epstein case. Like, he's been around for every every inside deal that that you know that you hear about and you got to wonder like is every single case that every judge in his position super high profile or does everybody have a laundry list of high profile cases they're involved in or are there a few judges who get selected for the for the manipulated cases I don't know but this guy was in the he presided over you know the Ted Stevens story the Alaska senator who was brought up on corruption charges I don't think so. He was exonerated. He died shortly thereafter, but he was exonerated. Maybe he died before. I don't think so. But this was the he he was an Alaska politician who was accused of corruption, but because of extreme prosecutorial misconduct, his case was dismissed. And Emmett Sullivan was the judge there, so it's like a parallel situation. And if you see Flynn get off, they're going to say, "Well, that that guy's the." hard nose on prosecutorial misconduct. He was also in the Lois Lerner case. He was on one of the Hillary private server cases. He um, was the guy who told the plane to turn around for one of these immigrants who was like deported illegally. Remember when Trump first came in and there was all this controversy about his like laws, like you can't get off a plane or you can't come in here. There was all sorts of uh, problems like this terrible law they passed which made no sense and caused tons of problems. So Emmett Sullivan was one of the judges early on who said, who just didn't care the consequences. Like you turn that plane around, you bring that person back here. So he's been very high profile. And I just feel like there's a chance that the Mike Flynn case will come out that way. I think this is different from the Manafort and Cohen cases, because there's a chance, especially with Cohen that they're getting, they're isolating Trump 
rather than that that's a big psyop they're like okay we're getting this guy out of here because he's your personal advisor and he has your back and we got to get rid of him so i think that there may be these may be different cases but i just i always think when they don't actually serve time or they land on their feet or they change their tune that that maybe there's a there was an operation at work to yeah. make it look like things are going a certain way when they're not yeah Speaking of calling immigrants back, Trump is getting blasted for not allowing people who got on a boat that was coming from the Bahamas over here because oh, yeah. somebody kicked them off. And it was apparently normal policy that has been in place <laughs> for a long, long time. And because they didn't have papers, they were, you know, they didn't have the proper stuff that they needed to be able to get into the country, then it became. Trump's hate shines again because, as we know, this is defund hate week. So we need every example possible mm, to say mm-hmm. that look at Trump's hate, look at his racism. This is another reason why you need to donate to the Democrats, to the progressives, so we get this racist out of the office. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I wonder. It's interesting. I haven't heard as much nine eleven stuff as normal for this week. I know. And I, I it, think you're right about like the white nationalism being the new terrorism. I saw an article about that. that yesterday. Yeah, I know you yeah. said that. Yeah. But the but I just don't. I'm just not seeing all the the normal press. Yeah, I know. There's no really build up to it. I think part of the reason why the Taliban thing has been prominent in the news is I think that's partly Trump's attempt to counterbalance a narrative of Trump is full of hate. Taking away from Taliban attack this on 9-11. You know what I mean? So if, if the narrative was just look at all Trump's hatefulness, look at the immigration problem, which is what the defund uh, hate week is about. There's rallies all over the country tomorrow on September 11th that are all about defund Trump's hate. Uh, let's fix the immigration problem. It's not even about 9-11. They are about – Yeah, that's weird. Right. And this is all indivisible. This is resistance. are all over the country tomorrow. And I think putting the Taliban stuff in the news puts it – in people's minds, that counter narrative. Oh, it's not. It's not Trump that's the hate. It's the Taliban that attacked us on nine eleven. That that would be the PR strategy I, I would see going. I would see yeah. as part of the discussion. Yeah, in the yeah, yeah. I, the thing about the Taliban, I heard one of the big generals, or um, maybe it was a congressman or senator, saying how we need to basically. Never leave Afghanistan. And he actually said as a talking point, which was like the most horrific thing I ever heard. He's like, we still people, we still have people in Japan and Germany 75 years later. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. not good. Let's get them out. That's not <laughs> what we want. But, but the thing about Afghanistan is at the same time that they were supposedly harboring Al Qaeda people, 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudi, just first of all. And a lot of the chatter about the surrounding those people in Osama bin Laden came out of Yemen. And the government of Yemen was never criticized. Yemen was not invaded. The only time we started having problems with Yemen was when that government was pushed out by Houthi rebels and Saudi Arabia went into Yemen to try to kind of get back control. And then they're like, oh, well, they're Iranian-backed rebels. And my response to that is, well, when Saudi Arabia is your constantly aggressive, brutal neighbor. What else are you going to do? But, I mean, that's what a polar world looks like. You have to go to the other guy. That's how you drive people to the opposition, by not respecting sovereignty. But they, but we never did anything about Yemen when 
when a parallel situation with Afghanistan occurred. So it's just, if you dig into any of this stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't stand scrutiny. I mean, my, my guess is that the reason we're never leaving Afghanistan is that's where all the poppies are grown. Yeah. I, I, I tweeted recently articles, people forget, but I mean, from the New York times that talked about how, I mean, contemporary articles from 2000, actually it was from 2001 right before 9-11, was a big article about how the Taliban in one year had eradicated the poppy from the largest poppy-growing region in the world. They had eradicated, and they were poor. Their people were poor, but they were like, and I've always said that about, about suppressing someone from traveling or working or using God's gifts, whether they're drugs or food or anything else. Like if you want that, you have to kill people like Singapore has the death penalty for drug dealers because people will not self-enforce that people. Most people aren't raping their neighbors. You don't have to like watch everyone because they're just poised to rape their neighbors, but people are poised to eat and do drugs and travel around. That's what they want to do. So, and they don't think it's any of your business, which is why they won't self-police it. They don't feel guilt about it. I think that's how I think of it. But the Taliban just put an end to it. And then 9-11 happened. And I almost, you know, I kind of wondered in the back of my mind, like if Afghanistan was highlighted as a target more than Yemen because we wanted an excuse to go in there. Yeah. And, and then like, Shortly thereafter, they reported bumper crops, bumper crops. And I just sent What's a bumper just, crop, a bumper crop, like the biggest crop ever. I just sent you, I tweeted recently, a couple of maybe a week or two ago, a Brookings Institution study that said, or article that said, oh, poppy production and heroin production out of Afghanistan is at all time highs or near all time highs. But don't worry about that at the it's really about people, you know, it's a sickness of the mind. Yeah. But then at the same time, right now we're in the process of driving Purdue Pharmaceuticals to bargain, to, to strike a $12 billion settlement that bankrupted their company. Like, well, they must have threatened those guys with jail. I think it was a family-owned company. And they're, we're putting companies out of business that are basically competing with the heroin trade. Jeez. And Brookings is saying, don't, don't worry about it. Nothing to see here. And I actually did speculate when pot went legal that they would simply have to have a, a surge in black market heroin or, or other things to continue to fund these black operations because, well— Read Dark Alliance by Gary Webb. Is there a more pro- or are there more profitable markets in the world than the legal and illegal drug market? Well, the illegal drug market is probably the most profitable business in the world. Any black market where you suppress yeah. competition, it won't draw the way it normally works is that if if somebody's making something and they can charge a lot for it more than the factors of production like the labor usually that's because you had a new idea and you're like everybody wants an iphone i'm charging a thousand dollars for an iphone and then samsung will come out with one for a hundred pretty soon after and then you have to lower your price it's called the uh it's like the the race to the bottom it's Mm. called economic zero once if your factors of production are yielding higher profits other people will take their low yielding factors of production and put it into that industry 
And then they'll keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that until the yield is the same across the board. Everyone will keep entering until nobody really makes economic profit, which is like profit above the value of the inputs, which includes your labor and everything like that. But if you suppress the ability to enter those markets, like with regulations or laws, that keeps people from bidding your prices down. And that's why regulated industries and black markets are extremely profitable. I think that wraps it up today. You can find <laughs> your Drive Time News Blast every day at 4 p.m. on thepropreport.com and your favorite podcasting platform under the Propaganda Report feed. We will talk to you tomorrow.